Welcome to Healthy Chats. Today we have Mr. Kieran Richardson. Kieran, thank you for your time. I'm very excited to speak with you today. Can you just describe to our audience a little bit about yourself and what you do, please? Yes. So I work as a specialist physiotherapist. Uh, so in Australia, we have different tiers of training. Uh, so you can start off as a graduate physio and then you can do a master's degree. So I've done additional training post my master's degree. So basically, uh, I work as a non-surgical specialist uh, in private and public settings in Australia. And I also offer consultations for patients around the world. Uh, aside from that, I also train healthcare professionals. So I see patients still, but then I do a lot of um, training in professional development uh, with people both locally where I'm based in Perth, Western Australia, but also over East, the other side of Australia and internationally. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Excellent. Kieran, so one, one area of interest for you is the evidence-based non-surgical management of ACL tears. Just briefly for our audience, can you explain what the role of the ACL is and typically how does an ACL injury occur? Yep. So uh, that's a very big question, but I'll try and answer it simply. But basically, uh, the ACL, you might have heard about it, the anterior cruciate ligament. Uh, it's one of the ligaments uh, inside your knee. Um, and it's got a job that has uh, it's essentially its role is to stop the knee excessively twisting or the shin ex excessively moving too far forward on your thigh bone. And um, you, you will if you follow sports, it's often a sports person's injury. So they'll uh, most regularly it's, it's injured when someone pivots, uh, they, they kind of twist on their knee and go to change direction and their knee will, will feel like it gives out on them uh, and they may hear a pop and get associated swelling and can be difficult to put weight on it. And then at the elite level, you'll often see the players devastated because there's this, this assumption that, they may need surgery. Uh, and a part of what I've been doing uh, with patients, particularly in the past uh, five or six years, but um, since I guess the COVID crisis, coronavirus, I've been doing a lot online uh, where we, we work with, with patients and often with their surgeon. And we're trying to work out whether people actually need surgery or not. And a lot of the time they don't. And this is obviously fantastic news for patients and uh, really good for the healthcare system and we can save a lot of money. Obviously, physiotherapy is a heck of a lot cheaper and less invasive. And obviously, there's people that are going to need surgery, but it's just trying to work out who does and doesn't need it. And so, yeah, I, I spend a lot of my working week working with patients and then training healthcare professionals on, on this topic. Yeah. That is amazing, Kieran. So I guess based on your research and your experience, like, are there any identifiable risk factors for an ACL injuries? That's a big question as well, that, I know. That, that's also a very big question. Uh, there is. Uh, so being, um, you know, being overweight can be, um, you know, being young can be. Uh, certainly one of the biggest risk, risk factors is uh, female gender. So they are at significantly higher risk of, of injury. Uh, playing pivoting sports obviously, but, but I have had patients where uh, they may just step down wrong from a curb uh, and that, that can cause the knee to give out on them. Um, but they're some of the main ones that you'll see. And, uh, you know, some of them are modifiable, um, you know, not, not engaging in a, in a prevention program is one of them. Uh, and so that's something I'm also quite passionate about. But um, so if you are engaging in a, in a 
prevention program, obviously that's going to reduce the risk. Um, well, they actually technically hold in injury risk reduction programs because they, they never fully eliminate. There's always going to be a risk of injury, but um, if you aren't participating in them, then you've got a, you, you have a significantly higher chance of, of not just injuring your ACL, but potentially other injuries in your knee. If you, um, if you're playing sort of at risk sports. Yeah. Yeah. So even for example, for like the recreational athlete, or for the average okay. person who's really never had a knee injury and they're, they're doing some kind of activity or sports, it's really useful for them to undergo one of these risk reduction programs, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It, it almost should be uh, mandatory at, at a club level, at a general population level, that if people are participating in leisurely type sports, even you know tennis, these sorts of things, even, but particularly team sports and higher level sports where there's change of direction involved, it should be mandatory. Um, and if you're, if even if you're not necessarily doing that, it's a great thing for your health to be participating in these types of exercises. But it's, it's people just don't necessarily know about it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like this, um, they don't know that they don't know. So it's this un, unknown, unknown. And so part of, I guess, what I'm trying to do is, and working with, with health aid is, is to try to bring this awareness of very simple strategies that you can use that uh, patients can adopt and, and, you know, clients in the general population that can be used simply, quickly, uh, you know, they're, they're not painful to do or anything. It's quite efficient and it can be, um, you know, we know from research studies, it's highly effective. Yeah. So what would one of these uh, injury reduction program kind of look like, you know, if you were to explain it briefly? Yeah. So basically you have um, to explain it briefly, you would have at least a couple of times a week, you would spend 10 to 15 minutes doing various forms of exercises uh, on your lower limbs. So some of them are strength-based, some of them are balance-based. Some of them can be like more, you know, modifications of various hopping and jumping exercises. And, uh, you know, you can start them certainly at a young, someone who's young or someone who's middle-aged or someone who's, who's older. Uh, they're, they're, they're pretty easy to, to, to start doing on your own. And, um, you know, you can always seek out additional advice if you do, if you do have any issues starting them, but, but generally it's pretty, uh, you know, there's some structure to it and then it's something that you would just maintain ideally lifelong. And um, yeah, that's a, that's a general overview. Mm. Excellent. So if a person's listening to this and they're just sustained like an actual or suspected ACL injury, in your opinion, what is the best thing for them to do right away? Yeah. So the best thing is to not panic. So a lot of people will, um, panic and stress out and uh, start to to worry about their future and and there can be this inherent belief that that surgery is the only option and so I would say that firstly just don't panic uh, you know I, I encourage people to to seek out sound advice from multiple practitioners um, it's good to have a team involved uh, so you know rehabilitation expert, someone who's who is experienced and trained in managing uh, ACL injuries uh, it's it's highly advisable to to commence some exercises and again it's it's difficult to comment because they can be they can be very specific to an individual 
but I would say most of the time um, it, it's 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 been shown in, in lots of different studies that by starting exercises, whether you ultimately end up not having surgery or you have surgery, starting exercises or prehabilitation, we call it, the patients will have a far better chance of having a better outcome long-term if they, if they do that. Uh, so that's super important. And um, just to consider your options is probably a third thing. So you have, you have options available. It's not like you have to rush. Some people feel like they have to rush out and choose the first option, which at least in the Australian context or the U S context would be, would be surgery, but it's, it's normally, and the current research evidence would suggest that often is the last option that we want to choose. And that's not just specialist physiotherapists that are saying that that is uh, a lot of surgeons would advocate for that uh, depending on the patient. And so, yeah, this is something that, that those are some of the key things that I would encourage people if they've just injured their knee. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. I guess really the important thing is that there is a growing body of evidence to know that people yep. with an ACL injury can cope without needing a, without needing surgery. Right. And that is the big thing you're trying to push. And we, we kind of call these people, you say you kind of call these people who can cope without surgery copers and those who kind of are non-copers. So kind of at this moment in time, is there a way for us to assess whether someone will be a coper or a non-coper early on? Uh, early on, no. <laughs> so, so basically, so the terms copers and non-copers is, is kind of a US term. Mm-hmm. I do think it's, uh, it's probably a Brit, it's a bit of a false dichotomy. So we can't really, you, we definitely can't say early that someone's absolutely going to be a copa or a non-copa. We kind of don't know. So it's sort of, it's scientific in the sense that with each person that gets injured, we kind of have to test and see and, and try to work that out. And it's, it is based on the current research. It's essentially impossible to, it's, you know, it's no one has a crystal ball, so we don't know. And there is new research showing that ACL tears can heal in some patients. So that is, you know, makes it further challenging to try to say that someone may or may not be a COPA because we have studies where the ACL clearly hasn't healed, but the patients have no symptoms. And then you have some patients who have evidence of healing, but they may still feel like their knee is going to buckle or, or feel unstable. And so it's, it's difficult to, to work that out uh, you know, in the first few days, you just, you, you'll never know because we, we don't know if the patient hasn't undertaken a rehabilitation program. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, 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 the terms copers and non-copers is what it will often be used, but I just would sort of say, yeah, you, it's more like a time frame thing for me, Get, getting the patients, they know they've got all these options. They can, they can commit to three to six months of, of pretty intense, specific supervised rehab and then they can always make these the big decisions for surgery or not you know at that time point yeah yeah i guess there there is a lot of uncertainty i think that is something that we can continue to learn as we go uh, but the one thing from what i'm understanding that's certain uh yeah, from my understanding now is that prevention undergoing a risk reduction program is really yes. really important for prevention prevention and we know that for sure Absolutely. So yeah, and we'll talk about this in the in the lectures, the lecture and tutorials that I make for patients. But basically, it's it's categorically proven that these, you, you know, the best thing is to not injure your knee in the first place, and you can you can categorically reduce the risk of having a knee injury by engaging in these prevention programs beforehand. 
And it's it that we're talking big numbers, you know, like at least half of them. Uh, some studies would suggest up to 75% don't even ever need to happen, which is amazing. Uh, but a lot of people don't do them. You know, the majority of people don't do them. So this is a key thing that we're trying to get out there and uh, show patients that it, it and, and the general population, so they wouldn't even necessarily be patients, but it's something that they should be doing almost like you would, you would brush your teeth or, you know, get dressed. If you're going to engage in sport and exercise, it should be something you should do. Yeah. Yeah. So really apart from like preventing an ACL injury and affecting your sport or daily life for the next 12 months, like you've alluded to, there are benefits of doing this kind of prevention program. What are some other benefits that you've seen? Well, I think it, uh, there can be some crossover to actually the person's ability to, to perform. So depends on the patient again, but by engaging in some, some additional strength training and, and balance work and, and dynamic strength work, it may also help your performance. Um, that'll depend on the individual. And there'd be some some suggestions of that, but um, yeah, I would say that that's pretty pretty crucial. So there's the 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 probably the most important thing is that it would reduce your risk, but then you have these additional benefits that it may uh, help you play better, feel better, maybe might make you feel less pain. Yeah, it just really depends on the on the patient, yeah, on the person. That's good. And I get asked a lot myself in the clinic is that when someone's done an ACL or they had an injury like that. Is there any long-term risk that they've already had done to the knee? So if you do if you do sustain an injury, there's an increased risk that you'll have arthritic arthritic change in your knee. But you may not necessarily ever feel any pain after the injury is settled. So uh, there isn't a there is an increased risk of you having arthritis that is true following the injury so there's less risk of having arthritis for doing these prevention programs if you follow that that rule of logic um but it you may not necessarily feel pain associated with that so some people get really you know i've got a patient she just emailed me before and she was worried about uh i'm due to see her for a, a first consultation next week and she's worried about whether she'll have arthritis um and i'll be answering her and say look you know you, you, there's an increased chance you'll have arthritis, but you may not ever feel any pain once you've completed your rehabilitation program. So, yeah, that's the short answer. Okay. I guess from, from my, if I ask you a selfish question, from my personal experience, I've had a full thickness ACL rupture in 2013 playing basketball. At the time, I was only offered surgery option, so which I underwent, and I went through 12 months of rehab, which now nine years later, my knee is great. Um, but when I returned to basketball later on, like, even though I didn't have any instability and strength was good, I just had a sense of like fear or lack of confidence. Uh, and I see that very yeah. commonly among my patients as well. So number one is, is this problematic? And how would yeah. you go about addressing this? Yeah, it's, it's very common, uh, highly, highly common. And a lot, of, uh, a lot of patients will in fact never return to sport. So there's, this is one of the, the, the problems with the surgery doesn't necessarily give you a golden ticket back to sport. Uh, depending on the paper you read, it may only, there may only be 50 to 60% of people that actually ever get back in the general population. And uh, they, they uh, you know, a large portion of them don't get back to the same level they were at. So that's important to know. But uh, you, you, so you do get a lot of patients that they call them a, uh, an adapter, which basically means they choose not to return to pivoting sports, uh, whether they have surgery or not 
because they worry that they might re-injure their knee. So what you described about the fear of re-injury is very common. And there's there's some argument that, in fact, the psychological uh, factors associated with your knee, how you how you think about your knee, how whether you feel like it's going to cope with sport, are you do you trust activities with it, um, you know your your confidence in using it, all those factors are almost better predictors than the physical function of your knee. So if we test your knee physically in the clinic, it's maybe not as good as if we ask you questions about your knee psychologically. So for sure, that is, I see that. In fact, it's every single patient has it. It's just to the extent of how much it's affecting them. Uh, and so I try to, you know, I had a patient just today from another country and, you know, over telehealth and, and I've actually engaged a sports psychologist for her, which I almost never do, but it's, it's a, become a very big issue for her high fear very worried and she's going very well physically you know uh non-surgically so i think it really is a case by case um it's a case by case thing here with that william but yeah it's always something we have to look out for okay so i think if if for example i had access to to your information and a program that you described i think look going back i probably would have prevented or reduce my risk of having an ACL injury. And I guess if I have the knowledge now that I would have delayed my, um, my surgery as well. So it's really useful. I'm just, I say, thank you for what you're doing. And I think it's really useful to really keep pushing that for, for everyone out there. Um, but yeah. I guess my, yeah. it's look, it hasn't been, it, it's, it's always tough bringing something new and you know, not everyone's going to accept it, but then it, I haven't had honestly very few people regret waiting and assessing all their options it's a i think it's a good way to think about it like i heard one podcast the other month and the 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 speaker was saying look if we were to go buy a house you wouldn't you wouldn't just make a decision on a whim well very few people would make a decision on a whim you would ask lots of questions you'd gather all the information and i think it should be the same with our own bodies but uh, not everyone thinks like that yeah yeah, I guess was one thing I hear is that when we delay surgery, for example, we do six months of uh, rehab and then you find that they need surgery. Does that then delay the whole process? That Does that mean they're going to have six plus 12 months later on? Not really. I mean, it, 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 in some ways it could be. It, patients might feel like that. Um, but then again, as we said earlier, we may not know whether they were going to be a coper or not. And they're typically there their um, knee will be better prepared for surgery anyway. And the other thing we have to consider, it sounds like you had a great outcome from your surgery, which is good, but surgery doesn't always work. So just because the physio doesn't work doesn't mean the surgery is going to work. And so we have um, this, if we use that COPA now, that COPA phrase, there's some patients, if they're not ready at six months, but you give them up to 12 months, they become ready. So there's, there's, um, lots of different factors to consider. And I think some, some patients will choose surgery because they feel like they don't want to run the risk of, um, you know, non-surgical failing. So they will just choose surgery psychologically early, which I can understand and appreciate. So I think it's, yeah, it's a case of the patients having all those options and knowing what the risks and benefits of, of each pathway is, I, I would say. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you so much for your time. Look, I think we'll leave it at that. Is there any closing comments or where can people find you on your online courses and your contacts? Yeah, so people can feel free to follow me uh, on LinkedIn personally. 
Uh, I've got quite a, a decent following on there. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, global underscore specialist underscore physio. Uh, that's been quite popular of recent times. Um, and also my website's globalspecialist.physio forward slash ACL. And there's lots of patient stories on there, resource, free resources, got some of my courses on there, which patients can do and clinicians can do. And they can access, they can access consultations with me over Zoom, which have been, I've done thousands in the past couple of years with um, with COVID. It's just taken off. And I think it's a very, you can, a lot of these things you can talk through with patients and even just the counselling I think is really important. Mm. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kieran. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. Uh, cheers, William. Nice to see you. You too.